0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Joel Wells. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest City. Welcome to church this morning. I'm not going to share the Word of God with you today. We, uh, I have a friend of mine uh, who's going to share the Word of God. Uh, Jason Banjura has been a pastor in our city, with, along with his wife Shannon, for uh, over 16 years. But Jason and his wife and their family have recently been a part of our church for uh, almost a year now. And so we feel it's about time that we tap into Jason's preaching gift and uh, teaching gift. Jason has a real unique way of just opening the Word of God and explaining it. And you're going you're gonna to really appreciate that this morning. Jason has uh, been a friend of mine for I don't re- remember how many years now. But we met in a, in a pastor's gathering here in our city uh, a number of years ago. And we just clicked. And we've sort of made it our thing to to uh, go to Fuddruckers about once every three or four months for a burger. And uh, I brought Jason over to Africa with me uh, one time to help preach in our pastors' conference, and have just really grown to love and appreciate him. And so, Jason, why don't you just come on up and share the word of God? He's going to continue with our series restart. Great to have you this morning, Jason.
1: Here we are. We're on. Thank you, Joel. The morning's been special already. We could have just dismissed. Worship was loaded. I'm not sure if you know this. This is something you should be aware of. If you're here every week, if you come early, there's already people here. When you come, that's not when things start. I didn't realize this because I typically come when you come. But if you come earlier than that, then the stuff has already started in the back room. And by the time you show up, this room is swimming in prayer. Did you know that? You should know that. So if you ever come into this room and worship happens and preaching happens and the announcements happen and you start thinking, man, it feels like things are kind of greased up to move. Yes, they are. And if you ever come into this room and you realize something's happening, I almost feel like my heart's beating in a different rhythm as soon as I enter. Yes, it probably is because many people are actually contributing prayers and faith and prep toward that happening. And so you should know. My wife and I, as as announced, my wife and I... Have been in Regina we've been in Regina 18 of the last 22 years the only four years we weren't here are when we determined that there were things to be had in other parts of the world and so we would depart for a year or two or three at a time but we always seem to find our way back to Regina and Harvest City has been special as Joel said church-wise special for the last year or less but our kids are part of the school here for the last three years that has been a real gift to them And then to our family as a whole. And even the Lifelinks camp, which I'm sure you'll hear announcements about months from now. We were going before we were allowed. We weren't even part of the club. We were still going. So there are things that you should be drawing off of. This morning, we're restarting. Joel got us restarted really well last week. Do you remember his points? Did you take notes? God's already planning your restart. Restarting is the way of the righteous. And the sooner you restart, the better. I think I come as an expert on restarts. And I say that because I often have fantasized that when I got an opportunity to speak, that I would arrive at the pulpit and I would come as the polished, tidy authority who's already at the end of the journey. And I would just tell you about the amazing things that I've seen on which I have some level of authority. But I feel like more often than not, when I get an opportunity, I want to preach that lesson. But God says, no, Jason, you're more of a messenger from the messy middle. That's who you are. You don't get to do those. You just have to be in the middle of it all and try to make some sense of it from that spot. But moving from there prepping with Joel a week or two back, we were discussing restart. What could this series look like? And I was struck by all of the really important words that we find in our scriptures that start with re. There's a bunch. Reborn. Rebirth. Recreation. Redemption. Renewal. Resurrection. Resurrection. It seems to me that this prefix, R-E, is really important to the Lord, and many of the things, as Joel said last week, many of the most important things he has to do are on the other side of re-something, and so we have to become experts at the restarts. Even a more typical word, one you've probably used more this week than any of the ones I just said, remember. Remember. Right? How many times in Scripture through Israel's journey, or even into the New Testament, are we prompted on the importance of remembering? Now, we use the word all the time. This is, honey, don't forget to get a dozen eggs on your way home. And I come home, and I haven't remembered, right? Remember and forget. We talk about those often. But somebody challenged me once on the word. They said, Jason, what's the real opposite of remember? And I said, forget. And they said, try again. And I was sort of stumped, actually. That was my best guess. And they said, what about dismember? I was like, that's a, that's a gorier image. I don't think I need that one. But their point was, to dismember something is to take it apart. Unhelpfully take it apart. Break it down to a point where it's not as useful or valuable as it used to be. But to remember is to put something back together. In a way that's valuable and important and probably creates possibilities that it didn't have when it was all in pieces. And so when we come back to remembering things, maybe that's my task this morning. I don't think I'll bring you many things, put new wonderful things in your hands that you've never had before. Maybe we can remember some things that we've forgotten. Put some things back together in helpful ways. Maybe there's something that we once knew that we need rediscovery of. And maybe that's the task for the morning. I've got an image here that's not going to make any sense. These are two creatures that live in my house. To be clear, they don't live in the walls of my house. They live in designated areas of my house. These are my daughter's hamsters. Toasty is on the left. Coco is on the right. Don't ask me why they have food names. I'm not even sure. But I'm amazed that these rodents are about this big with a brain about the size of a speck of dust, and yet they have an amazing variety of personality. Toasty is the friendliest little creature you'll ever meet, and when you approach his cage, he gets ready. He wants to be touched. He wants to be held. When he comes out, he plays with you in a very pleasant way, like he's been waiting for companionship and closeness all day. He's lovely. Coco is a nasty little critter. He wants to come out and play, but he doesn't want to come out and play. So when you approach, he gets interested. But as soon as you put your hand close, he gets all swatty and mean. And if you can get through that barrier and get him out, then he's quite pleasant and he'll have some fun. But boy, his defenses are up all the time. He fears getting close. Sometimes I've actually wondered if he has a vision impairment. And I come close, and that just gets him scared. I don't know much about hamster optometry, but I suspect there might actually be something there that he doesn't see properly. And I don't tell you this just to talk about hamsters. We'll come back to them. Speaking about seeing, I remember the first time I played with a pair of binoculars as a kid, and I was amazed at how handsome that gentleman is. (laughs) You're looking sharp, my friend. I was amazed at just the obvious things that children do with binoculars. We zoom in trying to get a look at things we'd never otherwise get a look at. But then who can avoid the temptation of wondering what happens when you turn them around? And it's completely useless. You look like fleas, ants, I can't even see anything. Why does it make such a difference which lens we look through first? Such a simple little illustration, but I'm amazed how many times I find myself having a few days of looking properly. Lord, I'm amazed what you're showing me. This view is expansive and vast. You're so good. Another day I wake up and I'm thinking, I don't know what happened. I lost it all. I can't see or feel or think half the things that I saw or thought or felt yesterday. Let's jump to the book of Romans. I'm always up for a challenge. Let's preach Romans in the next 60 seconds. Okay. Uh, This will work. We'll start here. You get into the book of Romans and Paul is kind of giving the gospel message in 16 chapters. He's trying to communicate to Rome... Who he is, what he believes, the message of Jesus that shaped him and turned him from one man into a totally different man. And not so many verses in, 16 to be exact, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And it is a righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. And so that's Romans 1. And as he moves through... David, bring us to the next slide. As he moves through the book of Romans, here's a real quick flow. He talks about the fact that God is a revealing God, but that humanity has often been a rebelling set of creatures. He gets to the second and third chapters. He talks about the fact that the law was given, but it didn't actually bring us to a state of righteousness. It seemed to bring us to a state of lawlessness. And then faith gets introduced as quite a different path. By the time he gets to chapter 4 and 5, he's bringing some examples now. Abraham, the father of faith. Adam, the one who fell in the first place. Jesus, like the second Adam, who raises up everything that the first Adam damaged. He gets into chapter 6 and 7. He talks about how righteousness as we've always known it and pursued it is being redefined By faith, by grace, by the gospel of Jesus. Romans 8, a favorite chapter for many of us, where he talks about the role that the Spirit plays. And by the time he gets into Romans chapter 8, he's got plenty to say. These are some of the verses we know and love and commit to memory. By Romans 8.31, he's saying, What then should we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And as the confidence starts to build from that declaration, he moves a few verses down and says, for I am convinced, neither death nor life, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, anything else in all creation. None of these things are able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And many of us go, amen. And he moves into the next three chapters, which are probably the toughest parts of Romans to work with. These have generated all sorts of interpretations and discussions, but he talks about the journey of Israel. And the point, if anything is the point in those chapters, is that God's faithfulness is completely uncompromised, even when his people are far less than faithful. So much so that by the time we get to the end of Romans 11, there's this hymn of praise that flows out. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths are beyond tracing. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God would need to repay? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's where Romans 11 concludes. And I read you all of that to read you the next verse. Because when Romans 12 starts, it starts with therefore. And any English teacher will tell you, if you ever hit a therefore, you better go back and make sure you remember what just happened. Therefore. Therefore. In view of God's mercy. Mercies is actually the translation. It's plural. Because we just read 11 chapters of a whole bunch of amazing things God has done. These are his mercies. And as we have them in view, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. And do you remember the first verse? I don't have it for you. Some of you know it. It urges us then do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world but rather be transformed how do we get transformed by the renewing of our minds and if that happens then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing perfect will right but I'm struck by the power of Romans 12 and that one little phrase In view of God's mercies. To me, this is the binocular moment of my spiritual journey. Sometimes I live very wisely in view of God's mercies. And I've got things properly aligned. And the view that God's mercies give me is a view that plants my feet. A view that fills my heart. A view that renews my spirit and my mind. And I'm positioned to move in new ways. Every so often I get my lenses flipped around and in rather than living in view of God's mercy, I start living in search of God's mercies. Are you just playing with words, Jason? Oh, I'd suggest we're playing with a bunch more. A life lived in view of God's mercy or a life lived in search of God's mercy is a wildly different life. Go back to my picture. It's about this different, actually. To live in view of God's mercy, I already see his goodness and kindness. And I'm looking for closeness. I'm ready for him. Call me. Come to me. Beckon me. I'm with you, Lord. If I'm living in search of God's mercies, I find myself much less secure. I find myself fickle from moment to moment. I find my feet poorly planted, and I'm actually not sure if God's for me or hoping that I smarten up so he can be. Wildly different life journeys. In summary, if you're a note taker and you want two sentences, maybe we could boil it down to this. Living in view of God's mercies creates a son-like experience, a daughter-like experience. But living in search of God's mercies creates a slave-like experience. And scripture speaks of both of them. The slave-like experience, the orphan-like experience is often held up as what we have before we find Jesus. But when we enter into covenant through Christ, we find ourselves adopted. We find ourselves as sons and daughters of the Father. And it is wildly different to live in search of God's mercies or to live in view of God's mercies. When I'm in search of God's mercies, I am living in a state of insecurity I'm moved by a feeling of lack and I need to probably make up the gap myself. When I'm living in view of God's mercy, I'm in this state of intimacy and I'm moved by a feeling of gratitude. When I'm seeking God in a state that I need to find him, that I'm in search of his mercies, then I feel a pressure. And a lot of it hangs on my performance or not. When I'm seeking God in a state of confidence, I find that it's a pleasure and I'm actually basing it all upon his kindness. His kindness. When I'm in search of his mercies, I have an obedience, but it's often driven by a fear of failure. When I'm living in view of God's mercy, obedience feels like kind of a joyful exercise of devotion. To be in search of his mercies, I feel like I'm, I have yet, I'm focused on the things I have yet to accomplish. But if I'm focused on what he's already accomplished, completely different thing. Over here, I find that I have a fear of my own weakness. Over here, I find that I have a confidence in his strength. Over here, it feeds instability and it fluctuates with my circumstances and my mood and my performance on a given day. Over here, there's a stability because the foundation of it is the quality of him. Wildly different. In Christ, God is shifting these identities. He's moving us from that place of insecurity to that place of security. And all who come to him in faith, this is a work that he does. In the finished work of Jesus, our status has been altered in the heavenly accounts. But you and I don't live our 724, 365 in the heavenly accounts. We live it right here. And as the great theologian Shrek once pointed out, Ogres are like onions. They have layers. And I do too, Shrek. And most of these folks do as well. And it takes some time and it takes some divine help for the wonder of grace to soak through all the layers that we have. And I guess I'm grateful to tell you God seems mighty committed to the task. Sometimes, as I guess I've already said, sometimes we're just oh so clear. Sometimes we read Galatians 2 and it makes perfect sense. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And he's the one who loved me and who gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be attained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Here Paul voices such clarity. I get it. I get it. I'm rooted. I know that God calls for righteousness and devotion and obedience. We know all of that. But in these moments, it all is clear. We're not in search of his mercy through those things. We are in view of God's mercy. And we recognize that our approval in God is rooted in the quality of Jesus and not in the quality of Jason. But somewhere in the average heart, this feels slippery. It feels hard to hold at times. And apparently we're not the first ones to feel the struggle because I just read you the end of Galatians 2, but you move one more verse into Galatians 3 and Paul identifies their struggle. You foolish Galatians. Sorry, Lord, it's me too. Who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You got it. You saw it. The cross was there and you responded and you knew you'd moved from slave to son. Everything was proper. I'd like to learn one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit... Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? When he says flesh there, he doesn't mean evil. Sometimes that's what the word means. But here he just means, is it possible that you entered the kingdom through faith, through grace, by the quality of Jesus exclusively? Now you've entered, a new life has been born, but that fuel of grace felt so foreign to the engine of your life that here you are now trying to run the thing on your own strength again. You were born one way, but now you're trying to live a different way. This won't work. You will feel the rub. That engine will get clunky. Yet we try. I think it's just because grace redefines everything for us, but it's so powerful and it's so foreign. So many realms of our life are not run on grace. And so when God breaks in, floods us with a fuel that we don't know how to burn, we feel the struggle. When you don't understand something, it's hard to hold it well. And so here's something that feels foreign and sometimes our grip slips on it. Gratefully, God is aware of this. I'm amazed when I hear conversion stories. I grew up in a family that went to church every week. So there was some familiarity with the gospel, with scriptures, and these things impacted me. But maybe not the same as some of my friends who have stories where it was like, Jason, one moment it was black, and the other moment the lights came on that very clear moment of change. And I'm amazed how often I hear those stories of conversion and people will describe them in similar ways. For all the experiences, they'll often say things like, that was a moment when I just felt like I was being warmed by divine love. I felt like the heavens had somehow lifted higher. I could feel Cleansing and releasing. It was like the lights came on. It was like a burden came off. It was like my lung capacity grew and I could breathe bigger than I ever had breathed before. Those are the types of things God does. Several years back, there was a worship song I loved listening to and fiddling around with in my living room. It had a line that said, uh, it's always like springtime with you. Making all things new. Your love is Shining like the dawn, something like that. And by the time it got to the chorus, it would sing, this is what you do, this is what you do, you make us come alive. That that's what God does. That there's this power and beauty of grace that rebirths us. It opens new spaces, it creates new possibilities. And as I'm saying today, it generates this new identity from a slave-like, orphan-like identity to a place of being sons and daughters. And then we change. We go from being in search of God's mercies to living in view of God's mercies. But as we've said, something about this feels hard to hold. And I would argue that the ones of us who have the most religion woven into us actually have the most problem. I read a novel several years ago. The cover looked like this. It had a character in it who used to be a pastor. He was thinking back on the ways that he used to sort of push the buttons and play with the levers of his congregation. He remembers thinking that in his particular setting, he would come up every week and whatever the sermon package and title were, he basically felt like, I was basically telling them every week, be better, be better, be better. And he said that message was so awful, but I was amazed that religious folks sort of like getting beaten up. It's like on some level, they actually are almost shopping for a guilt dose every so often. Like they think it's going to somehow successfully make them more. Well, that didn't strike close to home for me. Why would any of that be true, even in the words of a novel? Because in some way, some of us still feel kind of at home in that slave-like spot. When you're living as a slave, you need to prove yourself ongoingly. There's challenges to rise up to all the time. And there's something in us that actually is a little bit at home with that. As I said, full-on grace experience is kind of foreign. But there's something over here that if we know somebody is expecting better of us, sometimes that calls us up. It almost feels noble, like it demands courage or strength from us. But it quickly kind of mutates and gets into a place where it stirs a spirit of independence. Where we sort of feel like, I am going to do better. I'm going to perform. I'm going to prove something. We set out to prove ourselves, our own quality, and somehow space... Somehow it provides a space where we think that now I'm going to establish my own worth and display my own value. And when that happens, it all happens internally. You don't even know it's happening. But when it happens, the effect it has on us is that we frequently kind of disconnect from God. We go off running in search of his mercies because doggone it, I'm going to prove it this time. I failed 55 times before, but this time's going to be different. And we go off running in search of his mercies when everything we needed was already here in view of God's mercies. This is some of the game that gets played inside of us. And to be sure, we're learning and we're growing. I liken it to steering a boat. If you've ever been out on a little boat with a a rear engine on a lake in Saskatchewan or wherever, I know where I'm going and I'm holding it pretty steady. But there's waves, and there's wind, and it's actually a constant adjusting, right? There's no laser straight reality on a little boat. You're frequently readjusting, and you and I are always readjusting, and we're growing. I'm confident we are. And every so often, the waters of my life go totally calm. And my alignment is perfect, and I get it. And in the deepest part of my spirit, I know, Lord, I am a loved son of yours. I am secure in my adopted identity. I am firmly established in the work and quality of Jesus. I'm an image bearer of yours. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I get it, Lord. And then the water starts tossing. And my hands starts shaking. And some waves of weakness pop up and some swells of suffering create questions. And there's some flow of failure moving through and a little stream of challenging circumstances. Or, as Mike Tyson once told us, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Opposition is the key to this battle, right? The devil has many names through the scriptures. He's Satan. He's the evil one. He's the enemy. He's the adversary. He's the tempter and the liar. By the time you get to Revelation 12, he's the accuser of the brethren. And he does it so skillfully. Some of you have heard these murmurings in your ear. Some of you have been impacted by them as I sometimes am. You dream of being a person of influence? (laughs) You can hardly motivate yourself half the time. You want to see God use your life? Are you aware of the baggage you carry with you everywhere you go? You want to lead other people. You don't even know how to lead your own family. You want to be an agent of reconciliation? You can't even sort out the conflicts inside yourself. You want to be a bringer of light into the world. You can't even dispel the darkness in your own heart. You want to facilitate healing in the world. You can't even mend your own brokenness. And the little murmur continues. You're not able. You're not qualified. You don't know enough. You don't bring enough. You're not good enough. You can't be enough. And the spirit of the living God jumps in to say, enough! This is the Spirit who in the first page of Scripture is hovering over a formless dark and turns it into life as we know it. This is the Spirit who hovers in the tomb of Jesus, turning dead, deceased, death into resurrection life. This is the spirit who hovers over the early church at Pentecost and turns a bunch of nobodies into somebodies that God would use in mighty purposes. So when we get to Romans chapter 8, Paul is in full tilt moving forward when he says, those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. For the spirit you received does not make you slaves. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received has brought about your adoption to sonship. And by this Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. This means that the Spirit actually puts those words in our mouths, allows us to speak them, and then convinces us that they're true. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if you know verse 17, it says, And if you're children, then you're heirs. If you are adopted, then everything Jesus experiences naturally is waiting for you by adoption. The Holy Spirit gifts us and empowers us in unique ways. Romans 12 will tell you, if you have any gift from the Spirit, use it faithfully. But by the time you get to Romans 8 here, this is a description of the Spirit's work in every believer's life. This is not unique. Our status has been altered. The finished work of Jesus has moved us into a state of being forgiven and accepted and adopted. The status is written in Sharpie in the heavenly files. But the Holy Spirit is faithfully laboring so that our experience day to day matches up with our status, so that it soaks through the layers of who we are. Years ago, I don't remember how many now, a song was written. Allie, if you want to come and join me, this will be the perfect time. A song was written by the Helser family named No Longer Slaves. I'm sure it's been sung in this room more than once. When you get to the chorus, it says, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. I listened to an interview with the husband and wife. They were talking about why they wrote the song the way they wrote the song. Because if you listen to it, he starts singing. The song's sort of low. It starts to sort of build energy, build volume. By the time it gets to the middle, it has a bridge that goes a little bit higher Uh, emotionally, energetically. And at that point, his voice fades out and her voice fades in. And they were asking in this interview, why did you arrange it that way? So you'd start and then she'd take it over and he just laughed and said, oh man, by that point, it's just too high. (laughs) They were expecting something profound. No, it's that simple. But as I listened, I thought, oh, but this is profound, Lord. This is the perfect illustration. I'll never forget this one. The truth... That we are sons and daughters of God left to the strength of our own voices it's too high we sing it weakly. we sing it but we strain sometimes we stop singing it if it feels too high it's like you need another voice to sing that part which is what Romans 8 already told us the spirit testifies with our spirits that we are sons and daughters of God and so Maybe that's where we close today is simply a setup that there is this truth of grace into which we are called, but it, is, it doesn't fit well. It feels like a shirt too big for us sometimes. It's a song too high to sing, and yet it's true, and the Spirit is a gift to us because He comes in, sings the parts that are too high, and then speaks with us over and over again. Even as other darker voices are chiming into the other ear, He is insistent. He will not be drowned out. He is convincing us to say again, Abba Father, to remember that we are plenty, not because of our quality, but because of the quality of Jesus, which is without compromise. So I would invite you, here's how we'll close, invite you to stand where you are. I don't want to blitz you with a long prayer. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to breathe a deep breath. And I want you to sift the things we've discussed this morning. Holy Spirit, sift what's been said, sift what's been heard. I pray that you would root in each heart what needs to be rooted. Your eyes are still closed. Here's some instructions on how we'll, we'll move toward our closing. We're going to close service with a time of prayer, and I want to extend the invitation particularly <clears throat> to any in whom a sense of need has been stirred this morning. When I was preparing this message, I, <clears throat> I found it generating in me a real sense of camaraderie and connection with my Christian brothers and sisters. The ones in this room and the ones all around the world. We are called to be agents and participants in Jesus' work to make everything new. And this realm of identity is one of the primary, most personal points where we get first-hand experience of what it's like when Jesus makes things new. So every believer has moments when the testimony of the Holy Spirit hits forcefully and it alters our sense of self for the better and truer and purer. And our roots in those moments push deep down into the quality and person of Jesus. And in the process, we find this transformative power is shifting our assumptions and our motivations and our self-talk. And we feel that we're changed to the core and we can tell the difference. And yet... Every believer is also within the reach of deceptive whisperings of the enemy. He's intent on sowing shame, increasing our burdens, stirring religious spirits that carry distorted versions of conviction so that we sense God's displeasure with us unless we smarten up and get better. That pressure to prove ourselves can overtake gratitude for the mercies of God And the whole deception creates distance and instability and heaviness when Jesus has paid every price to give us connection and confidence and freedom. So if that battle for freedom and acceptance has felt intense to you in any recent memory, then maybe this morning is the perfect time for us to bear with one another, invite the healing of Jesus... And invite the volume of the Holy Spirit's testimony to be turned up. So if anything in the message this morning has stirred that sense of need for deeper roots. In the reality of who you are. Perhaps just gently raise a hand where you are. Because the brothers and sisters... Of Jesus the children of the Father we walk this road together and we need each other's voices and we need each other's reminders and if you're feeling conscious of a need for that type of strength from the ones around you today then we want to lend it I would invite you to raise a hand where you are and as we close we'll surround one another with confidence invite you to open your eyes take note around you of brothers and sisters who might have a hand in the air. These are people feeling the burden of the enemy's whisperings, feeling the weight of challenging circumstances. And we won't let them stand alone this morning. If you're in one of those gatherings, put a hand or a a hand on a shoulder or a back of your friend begin to pray the truths that are in you begin to remind them of the wonders of Romans 8 I can hear the murmurings of prayer throughout the room thank you friends for making this a space of healing you are viewing from home, we trust that a sense of prayer is already in the room with you, that you're praying with the ones you're watching with or engaging in the online chat. We're grateful you've been here this morning. If you're present in this room, we're going to quietly dismiss even as we let prayer happen around the room. be blessed with the testimony of the Holy Spirit over your life today friends you are indeed the sons and daughters of the Father the loved brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ and the living temples of the Holy Spirit bless you as you live out that identity
2: Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We hope you enjoyed it and found something that spoke spoke to you or blessed you in some way. That really is the heart of Harvest City Church, that you take what you've heard, learned, or experienced here and then go out and share that good news with others. So go ahead and post this video to your page, start conversations and who knows the lives that God could transform through it. If we can support you in some way in this season, please let us know. Maybe you've decided to dedicate your life fully to Jesus. We want to hear about it and celebrate with you and help you in those first steps. Connecting in to share the joys and the struggles of life is why we're here. Finding community is super important too, so if you're wondering about any of our programs for kids, youth, or adults, just reach out to us by phone or at the link below and we'll be in touch. To all of those who are partnering financially with us, thank you for your investment into the kingdom of God. It allows us to do what he's calling us to and reach even more people. For more info on that, go over to harvestconnect.ca slash give. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our live stream chat area at harvestconnect.ca slash live. It's a great place for interaction, commenting, prayer with our online hosts and more. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our social pages and all that good stuff too. Take care. Keep living your call and we'll see you again real soon.